My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. This podcast series was recorded over Zoom during the lockdown period. This was part of an exclusive event laid on for veterans and serving personnel. We'd like to thank our guests for allowing us to release part of this conversation for you in podcast format. In this episode, we speak to Alicia Kearns MP. Although not a veteran, Alicia has worked closely with the armed forces over the years in a career as a civil servant, including in the fight against Daesh as a military civil liaison officer. She shares her thoughts and frustrations on civil service cultures, why she decided to step into politics, and unsurprisingly, why she has an affinity with the military cohort of MPs. Midway through the chat, she also reveals her theory of why so few women get involved in politics that offer a unique insight from this new MP. She's a breath of fresh air and is open, honest and authentic. It's time for you to listen to the conversation. Um, I'm very pleased to be here. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but throughout my career, I've been very lucky to work with the armed forces. Um, it's always been my favourite bit of my work. Um, and now being, so my background over the last five years is counter-terrorism, um, working uh, as a civilian uh, across a number of different theatres. Um, and having joined Parliament, um, I sit on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and I also sit on the National uh, Joint Committee for National Security Uh, So I'm working across those two briefs. So national security and foreign affairs and military are very close to my heart. Um, And I'll hand back to Johnny because you don't probably want to hear too much about my history. So there we go. (laughs) Amazing. No, please do dig in to and follow Alicia on social media and you'll see some of the commentary that she's provided um, recently around some of the affairs that uh, international affairs, things that with our community will be resonate considerably but Alicia so despite your um, civilian career why on earth did you get involved in politics in the first place? So I would say that I was brought up with quite a strong sense of public duty and responsibility to those around you. Um, My parents, uh, my dad left school at 11 and started work and got involved in trade unions um, and then was always very involved with the community and then they both became teachers. I started out with kind of youth organisations and Amnesty International. I was quite young, but not politics formally. I wasn't one of those people at university who joined the Conservative Party Association. In fact, I wasn't a Conservative Party voter when I was at university. Um, I very much believe it's important that people aren't born into a a political party you find what is right for you Um, and then I decided to go and work in the civil service because I wanted to help people I wanted to contribute to our country Um, I wouldn't have hacked it in the armed forces so the civil service it was for me Um, and I worked at the Ministry of Justice I worked at the MOD don't hold it against me I did work at main building uh, but my job was working on kind of crisis uh, the Scottish referendum making sure we didn't 
essentially get neutered as a military if by having Scotland going independent. And then I got a phone call from the Foreign Office saying, will you come and work on uh, counter Daesh um, and help lead the effort in Iraq and Syria? Um, so I was working at the Foreign Office and I kind of started to think I want to leave government. I want to become an MP. Um, and the reason for that really was that working in the civil service was the most frustrating experience of my life uh, because I saw how often the system fails and the yeah. system doesn't fail because people don't care. The system fails because it's too big. Um, it becomes too obsessed with its own bureaucracy and it forgets that the reason it exists is to make our lives easier, not more difficult. And I essentially thought, do you know what? I can be one I, inside the civil service. I was that challenge function but actually, if I was an MP, maybe I could do them more. Um, so it took me about a year to get on the candidates list. But uh, yes, so that's why I decided to go into politics, really. No, I completely get that. And having spent three years myself working at the Ministry of Defence, um, it definitely had its good and bad moments. But um, yeah, I guess at that frustration that you felt um and what that as i guess that's one of the reasons why you've gone into politics and i suppose you saw some good and bad examples of uh, politicians as well that you brushed up against uh, during that time i um, could possibly comment on it yeah. <laughs> yeah that's probably for another conversation <laughs> um so yeah you are elected now you are that person um a member of parliament what would you say has been your biggest challenge to date now you are in the house of commons um it's quite a difficult one to answer because when you become an MP, you're given a laptop and you might have heard this from other people, you're given a pass, you're given an iPad, what your budget is. And then they essentially say, good luck to you. Off you go. Um, so you have to work out, you know, people think you're all powerful as an MP. Um, so it's about working out what authority do you have? How do you achieve change? How do you influence things? What can't you do? What are the limits? How does a whipping system work? How, what do constituents expect of you? Um, and I remember kind of, I think, uh, maybe 20 days after I was elected over the Christmas period, um, I got an email from a woman whose son needed congenital heart, had congenital heart disease, needed an urgent operation. And her house, the photo she sent me, the house was covered in mould. And I mean, past six foot, it was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, not the worst, but in, in terms of a living uh, kind of thing that someone was living with in, in our country. And I remember thinking, I don't know what to do. I know I've got to help this person, but how? There's no training. There's no, this is how you help people when they're worried. Um, and I worked on it for about 10 days and I didn't know who I was going to or why or how. Um, but I managed to get that woman a new house. And it was the most amazing feeling because I changed her life. And when her child came out of hospital, she went to a new home that was clean and safe and meant that child's recovery was far more assured. Um, but it is that bit about kind of trying to work out what you can and can't achieve and even now uh, a few months in trying to do that and then obviously bandwidth because you know you want to help everyone you can but there's only so much you can do that's amazing um but to be honest that that uh, situation you described about setting up as an mp sounds like many of the handover takeovers that some <laughs> of us on this call have been involved in on operations it reminds me of my handover takeover in afghanistan which was pretty much uh, non-existent though perhaps I had some better training to prepare me for those operations um but you've already kind of touched on it as well a little bit um the reason that you did overcome that and you did get that result you must have lent into some skills experience and values from your civil service career no doubt would you say that's right um so I think a lot of the skills are kind of the the things that I think allow you to achieve as an MP are actually the core driving skills of who you are. 
So if you are someone who is determined, who is resilient and who is driven by that very strong desire to help people, that is what will allow you to achieve your aims because you will always find a workaround. The one thing I did learn that helped me from the civil service is patience, uh, which is not something I'm necessarily the most naturally attuned to having. Um, but you learn when you work in that big government system or a main building sometimes why it takes a bit longer to get things done and the processes that have to be gone through and sometimes there are legitimate reasons for that and sometimes there aren't um so i think patience was one of the main things i learned from the civil service as well as how to new to my language a little bit should we say uh but um it's those core kind of bits of who you are that allow you to be successful i think as an mp based on my few months experience so far <laughs> no really valuable uh, those initial insights i guess it's good to capture you now you know why you are relatively fresh in parliament and perhaps we'll have this conversation again in a few years time and and revisit that um but I, again some some of the things you're saying there completely resonates with our community in the armed forces mm. um but when you you alluded to earlier in the introduction that your time working at the foreign office and mod main building you would have worked alongside many of us from our community um in and outside of uniform what would you say were your observations about that community and now you've worked in politics, you've worked alongside people in local government as well to solve some of those problems mm. um, in particular. What would you say about that community and your observations and their potential compatibility for a, a career in public life like politics? Um, well, I've, I've always been, I've always enormously admired those in uniform and loved working alongside them. Um, and thank you to all of you for your service and what you've done for our country in the past and what you will in the future. Um, I was the mill uh, civ liaison for the Global Coalition Against Daesh, as well as a number of other roles. So I spent a lot of time working in the military more than other civilian colleagues. Uh, so in bases in Kuwait, in Iraq, CENTCOM in Florida. Um, and the reason I got that role and the reason I did a lot of work with the military was because I loved it. Because, as I said, I'm very action focused. And the thing about the military is you are very effect and outcome focused. Whereas in contrast, for example, you might find diplomats are quite fond of streams of consciousness and going round and round in circles and every little nuance. Whereas what I found was really useful is that when we had a, a challenge, whether it was uh, cracking down on kind of terrorist finances or whether it was a particular targeting thing we were working through, it was very straightforward for me to say, this is the end effect we need to achieve. What are the options? And the military say, these are the options. Now let's crack it and get it done. Um, and I think the, the thing for me is that underpinning that focus on effect and outcome, which I think is so important and so great to work with, is that real belief in service and duty, as well as a great ability to let your hair down, which I think is very important, particularly when you're abroad on your own. Um, but I think in terms of compatibility, it is that sense of duty. It's being a team player. Uh, it's being practically minded. You'd be amazed how many MPs are not particularly practically minded. Mm. Command skills that you bring that so few, many people in life don't have. Um, you take the Queen's shilling, you know, you will always serve the nation. That is always going to be your core motivator. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things I've learned when working in the military and seeing people transition out of the military is how often you undervalue yourselves and the skills you bring and I think sometimes the language of politics or the language of a certain job application or a CV or an expectation or a cover letter people who who have served that I've been friends with have allowed that to throw themselves it's yeah. a very different language in the civvy world and the political world you have the skills it's just about adjusting the language 
Yeah, and that's certainly one of our core uh, objectives is to deal with that issue of self-deselection. What we're finding is, particularly with the nature of service life and something you'll have um, an empathy with due to the fact that you have moved about your career as well, is that that engagement with democracy is sometimes lacking. You know, Johnny Mercer famously said that the first time he voted was in the general election um, when, when he got elected uh, because the nature of service life is often against participating in the democratic um, whole process. Um, so I think many of us, we need to continue that message that people yeah. shouldn't deselect, whether it's because of rank, backgrounds or whatever, that, as you say, that, that it's within our armed forces community, that ability to serve. And the other thing, of course, you'll have empathy with is that civil service has values, right? Yes. Um, and those those values and standards are really important um, to us too in the armed forces community. Although, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's. I'm, I was talking to James Sunderland earlier, who I think you've had before or will have, um, yeah. and I think there are definitely some things the armed forces will find frustrating about politics. Um, you know, there's a lot of grey zone, and I mean that in every single meaning of the word. Uh, and like hybrid warfare, you need to be offensive and defensively armed at all times, uh, not only for those you're fighting for, but for yourself. You know, there is a clear chain of command but there still isn't really a clear chain of command and the mechanisms for operating within it aren't very clear and can be quite frustrating. And I think it's, um, it's really interesting talking to new colleagues who are ex-armed forces, seeing how that transition has worked because it is this bizarre, very structured situation, but absolutely great at the same time. Um, mm. And so I think that brings particular challenges to the armed forces, but the right ones where I think people with the sense of duty in armed forces histories will smash through those walls that I think potentially we need to be better at resetting how politics works absolutely i mean i've certainly described an election as a counterinsurgency before as well Um, (laughs) that commonality of the language um but it's great seeing you as an mp but why are there so few many women why is i think it's just a third of parliament still a third of all local authority leaders are women why do we still face that situation and what can we do to encourage more women into politics particularly from the armed forces community I mean, so I've got a call, for example, I think next week with the first ever woman two star. Like, how have we only just got the first woman two star? That's mad. Um, I think one of the issues with women, I think less so in the armed forces, um, but is women see a lot of barriers that men don't necessarily. I have to admit, I'm not someone who normally goes in for talking about gender and uh, sex and how that impacts. And although I'll always fight for people, I will fight for those who I think are right. Um, I was on a call the other day where someone suggested that we need a woman defence expert because we needed a woman. Um, and I took quite issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially women see barriers, I think, often that men don't, and they worry that it's not the right time or the right place or how will fit my other responsibilities. The other thing they found through scientific testing is that women have to be 100% sure that we have 110% of the qualifications required. We have to hit every single one on the job spec, whereas men will quite often go, do you know what? I'll <laughs> go for it. I can do it. I'll shoot for it. Let's see how it goes. And I think one of the really important things is that to get more women Um, into it I think we all need to support each other better and although politics is meant to be this cutthroat world you know I remember prepping friends who were doing interviews against me for seats to become the conservative MP and the reason I prepped them is I said look if they want the you know gobby undiplomatic ex-counterterrorism girl they'll pick me if they want the housing expert who has spent years as a counsellor and knows local associations like the back of the hand they'll pick you um, and I think actually the key thing you can do if you want to go into public service in any line, it's not just about becoming an MP, 
is pick a group of friends and support each other, even if you're going to be up against each other, because that is what you need. You need a support network. Yeah, again, I couldn't agree with you anymore. And it's great that you're, you've remained authentic in that way. And as part of what we're doing with Campaign Force is to create those group of friends, and yeah. particularly that affinity and the shared values and shared service, uh, yeah. because it can be quite a lonely game when you're going up for seats and things. Um, and the enormous strain on your family too. So we're trying to create this community that can, this mutual support network um, across the parties uh, in order to deal with some of that. But you've, you've mentioned that you're giving that kind of coaching and advice to people you're going for seats as well, which is remarkable. Um, but what would be a golden piece of advice that you'd give in general, if there was of yeah. anyone looking at this, this whole game in the first place? So I think I'd really struggle with kind of one, but I will try. And I think for me, it's go for two or three, it's up to you. Go for it. We'll, see. well, they'll probably come out as we go through, but I think my advice would be, be you, but be unadulterated you. You know, if you're a bit rough around the edges, embrace it. If you don't know every single bit of intricate policy, so what? I am not, I should never be Chancellor of the Exchequer. I know this. I know what my limitations are. I know that's not the right thing for me. And I don't pretend to be an expert in economics. I have colleagues who've worked for the British banking organisation, being the top, you know, finance, hedge fund, whatever. That is their expertise. And I will respect them for that. The issue you have is when people go into politics, say you're asked a question. So say Johnny was to say, well, tell me, you know, um, do you think we should be focusing more on uh, investing in the Navy or the Army? Someone would say, well, you should say neither in the Air Force. But uh, (laughs) you would say the answer would be a perfect politician would say, well, thank you for that really interesting answer. It draws out some really interesting points. And I would say that, and people go into this perfect politician mode, you are never going to, why would anyone want you to represent them? Why would any association, I know different political parties do the interview process differently. Um, that's the bell. Give me one second, I'm talking while I vote. Uh, but why would anyone want you to be, checking how I'm voting, yes, I am voting, right, there we go. Um, why would someone pick you to be representative of them if you're pretending to be perfect, if you're pretending to be a facade of what you think a politician should be? So I think one of the best things you can do is literally get a load of paper or a whiteboard and look at all your stories of who makes you, you know, where have you served? Where are your parents from? What are your passions? You know, did you once get bitten by a crocodile swimming in God knows where? All these small stories make you who you are and you need to work out what your offering is to the country as a politician, even if it's just to be the local parish councillor, what yeah. is your offering to the country? What is your offering to the local community? And be you. Don't be who you think you have to be and don't pick another politician to model yourself on. That's that's cracking advice. That's brilliant. Um, and certainly that, that's the first time we've heard on these calls, um, really, that, that level of detail around that. Um, and if you do have to vote, by the way, um, and take a pause. Uh, I've, done, I've done it. I've done. <laughs> This is, yeah. the, you know, this is amazing. This is the second time we're witnessing history on these calls as um, the uh, shadow veterans minister, Sharon Hodgson, uh, voted on this very call as well last week. Um, well, the scene, we sooner go. it all ends, the remote voting, the better. But uh, at least I can do it while talking to you all. <laughs> amazing. Well, the one thing I would add is that in the same way as you said, you know, it feels like we could all be you know, working together. You know, any of you could have been sat with me in any of the bases that I've been working in or a main building, although you probably wouldn't have liked me if I was in main building, annoying <laughs> civvies getting involved with things. Um, but, you know, politicians are completely normal people. And I think in the past that wasn't true. In the past, you needed to be tapped on your shoulder and you needed to be related to Lord whatever it was. 
um that's not me I I went to my local comprehensive yes I worked hard and I went to Oxbridge and therefore apparently I deserved to be attacked because I worked hard and went to a, a good university but I didn't know people when I went into the Conservative Party when I went to the assessment board I remember it was me and the seven other people were all speechwriters for David Cameron or for Theresa May or for David Davis. And I sat there and they all discounted me because they thought, and they were like, what's your background? I was like, oh, I'm a civil servant and, um, you know, yeah, work in national security stuff, you know, um, that's essentially where the conversation ends, obviously. And it was fascinating. But you can be, I mean, look at Stuart Anderson, who is one of my favourite people. Yeah, you know, he, was, he was mega on this call as well. He's he mega brilliant. and he is, he is an incredible bloke. And if it's, particularly if you look at the new MPs, they aren't, there'll be some, but the majority are not privileged. They weren't brought up and bred to be MPs. You know, they haven't been to finishing school. And we need people like that. And it won't happen for everyone. And I have friends who have worked to become an, you know, one MP who became an MP this time. She first did for election in 1991 and she's only just become an MP. So my journey was incredibly fast and that was luck. And the fact that I lucked out with the association and got the right association for me. Some people will spend decades and some people will never happen. So I think the one thing I would definitely say is do not make this your be all and end all. Don't stop, you know, looking for that kind of love of your life because you're focused on politics. Don't not have a child. I've got a 19 month old baby. Everyone thinks I'm nuts. And I'm in parliament doing all this stuff with that baby going around. We didn't stop having a baby because maybe an election would come around but lots of people do. So just make sure you love what you're doing. Make sure you love the work you're doing. Keep it in mind, work towards it, treat it like a job. That is the way you achieve. A lot of candidates do not treat becoming an MP like a job. They think they're just candidates and then they'll become an MP. You have to treat it. I used to report back every Sunday night to my conservative campaign director on what I've been doing that week to campaign, where I've been helping. Treat it like a job because you need to show them you're serious. But be normal and don't undersell, your, undersell yourselves as the military because you bring far more to this country and you, you've contributed more to this country with your little finger probably than mo- most MPs will have for a long time. So just think about, use the language you need to use, but be you, be authentic you and go for it, but don't make it the be all and end all. Sorry, Johnny. Yes, no, that is amazing end. I'm not going to top that or add to that. That's a perfect way to end this, uh, this session. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.